Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Good morning, beautiful people. I want to thank you for joining me here on Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown, here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We are going to listen to part two of The Wisdom and Fire of New African California Political Prisoner, Joka Hashima Jinsai, as he was talking about the necessity of social cooperation to obtain true freedom uh, for new Africans and all oppressed peoples. Um, if you would, had joined us last week, then you will understand that this is part two. Um, I did spend uh, quite a bit of time, or I wanted to balance out this incredible uh, knowledge. Um, and again, this the wisdom that we are getting from uh, Hashima. And so I, I put in a lot of music last week. So this week we are going to hear... Uh, again, part two. And we're also going to be hearing a segment from Abolition Today, 
Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Max Parthas and uh, Yusuf Hassan, the incredible work that they do over there at Abolition Today, which you can listen to every Sunday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you want to hear um, specifically what is going on with legal slavery um, in the sense of, you know, constitutionally, what it looks like in terms of the 13th Amendment um, and its exception clause and all of the things related to that in terms of abolishing um, legal slavery, listen to that radio, to listen to that blog site. Again, Abolition Today, every Sunday, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Also, I'm, I'm going to just have to do another shout out for George Jackson University. You can hear that show every Wednesday, again at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you want to hear about the incredible new African revolutionary work that is being done to serve our people at this time in 2023, because that work, that service of to the people has never ceased. And you can see it um, in real time, fully highlighted, fully on fire uh, from our people on the inside and the work that they are doing with us out here. So um, we are going, but we are going to hear a segment of, and you've heard segments of uh, George Jackson University on this show as well. This week, we are going to continue again, part two with Hashima, and then we are going to hear a piece from uh, Abolition Today. All right. And oh, I didn't give the addresses, abolitiontoday.org, georgejacksonuniversity dash gju.com again george jackson university all one word hyphen gju.com and really i do highly encourage all of you to get to these to these sites so you can really hear what's going on um you know the mainstream media is just another arm of the oppressor to keep us divided to keep us um ignorant and uh, again, to really to keep us at each other's throats, to keep us weak so that we continually depend on um, outside forces that are absolutely 100% against us. We need to be able to um, build up that trust and uh, unity and solidarity amongst the peoples so that we can, again, uh, so that we can truly truly be free. And I think we've got a window here. All right, let's get started. Uh, Thank you again for being here this morning. And we're going to be hearing now uh, part two from Joka Hashima Jinsai. Left off last week when he was talking about division is weakness and unity is strength. Let's just look at the ant. Is the unity strength? Division is weakness. That together you can accomplish things which otherwise would be impossible. We are social creatures. Humans are social creatures. Yet the system has been produced which has us, especially those of us who come from cultures where we have traditionally been cooperative. It has us psychologically up in the head to where our responses are irrational. While our very motivations in life are irrational. When we speak of liberate cage voices, liberate our elders, prison lives matter, what are we talking about? we're really, really talking about is the origin and ideology of the prison industrial slave complex we seek to destroy. You are not going to destroy the PISC if you do not destroy its foundations. It's going to emerge again under a different name and a different form. It's going to be reform, another reform. Nothing's going to change. That's not revolutionary. What is crime? Well, how, how is a prison industrial slave complex even formed? 
on the backs and blood of our people. You gotta ask yourself that question. One of the problems that we constantly have is we fail to focus on the root cause of contradiction. Instead, we focus on the symptoms. You look at the symptom as opposed to the core cause of the illness. Mm -hmm. Criminalization, the origin of all crime, is the disproportionate distribution of wealth, privilege, and opportunity in a society. So if that's the case, the rational response, how we solve a contradiction with its opposite. So if origin of crime is disproportionate distribution of wealth, then the opposite would be to increase prosperity in our communities, correct? If we are existing with a deficit of privilege, well, the rational response will be to create a new social structure where our way of life produces privilege in our communities for all of us, not a select few. If we are living with a deficit of opportunity, then the rational response will be to be creating a new infrastructure which provides opportunity for everyone. That would be the rational response. And that's what we did when we structured the Thomas Infrastructure Commission, when we structured the George Jackson University, when we structured the Emergency Response Network, when we structured the Side Alert Network, when we structured community release boards. I want to, I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, Liberate Our Elders campaign is focused on freeing African political prisoners who have been held far beyond their MERPD, that's an ineligible parole date, solely based on their political ideas and activism. Right. So if that's the case, and we know that the current construct and constitution of parole boards is made up of prison industrialists and law enforcement officials, people who traditionally are not going to let you out because this is their system. This is their bread and butter, how they make money. Last thing they want is to do like you, getting out, transforming your community, and shutting off that school to poverty the prison pipeline that they got going on. Can't have that. So they need to keep you on the inside where your influence is drastically reduced. Where your capacity to create change is drastically reduced. All right? So what Community Release Board seeks to do is first identify the who has the greatest, who's the greatest stakeholder in determining who is released and when. Is it some board of uh, prison crafts and, and law enforcement professionals? No. It is the people who live in the community you're going to be released to, the people you're going to be living next door to. That's who got the greatest interest. That's the greatest stakeholder. The community release board seeks to do is put the power to parole once someone's MEPRD has been reached, they went to the board and been not okay. That gives out, board, you, you don't get another bite at that apple. That power is taken out of your hands and put into the hands of the people. The people determine when theirs come home. Who know me better than Miss Beasley who lived next door to me my entire life? Who know me better than Sister Newbay who I done built with and worked with for my entire professional life? People from my community. That's who know me the best. That's who can determine whether or not I'm somebody that they want to live next door to. That I'm somebody that they want their children around or their property around. That's who has the greatest state. So that's who should be invested with the power to grow. And that's what the community release board seeks to do. Put that power in your hands. Once a parole board has failed to execute that power rationally and responsibly. Uh, when we speak of the contradictions that we've been discussing throughout this conversation. And I'm talking about the core contradictions of our oppression. You're talking about the introduction and creation of wealth or prosperity in the community. The autonomous infrastructure mission has created an initiative called Closed Circuit Economic Initiative, CEI. The CCEI actually pools the resources 
performance of a community over a, a six-month funding period. Let's say you got 10,000 people living in this neighborhood. Everybody chip in what you can, a quarter, 50 cents, a dollar, two dollars every two weeks for six months. At the end of that six-month cycle, you should have a pool of funds sufficient enough to buy our own grocery store in our community. And the only people that we hire in that store are people from our community who don't have a job. Now, we keep that going for the next six months. Now, understand something. That store is communi- communally owned. No individual owns it. Community owns that store. So the profits come back to the community. All right? Next business we do in the next business cycle is a sympathetic business, meaning it's a business that our business can do business with. In this instance, a bakery. Again, we hire only people from our community who don't have a job. So we kill two birds with one stone. We continue to circulate our money in our community with our store, magnifying its wealth and power, but at the same time reducing our unemployment rate. That is the rational response to poverty. Let's say we have spaces in our community where our people need to be secure and safe going about the normal processes of social life. That's why I want people to understand something. The gang members in your community is our young brothers and sisters. They're my kids. They're my young adults. We don't look upon gangs as a problem. We look upon these gang violence as a problem. Tribal warfare. We always want to tribal people. Tribal warfare is a problem. So what we want to do is get rid of the negatives and accentuate the positives. Ain't nothing wrong with coming together to empower yourself and empower your community. That's what you do when you do that. Community Safe Zone Initiative seeks to leverage those brothers and sisters in our community who always already seek to defend it to actually do that. To defend those spaces in your community while men, women, and children go about the daily process of social life without fear of death or injury. So once we identify a site as a safe zone, those brothers and sisters that's engaged and stuff, they know full well, they possibly get somebody hurt just by their presence, they stay away from them spots. Those brothers and sisters who are not engaged in those processes actually defend those spots. That is a secure community. That's a rational response. That could have the potential to change the culture in your community. But suddenly, you can't say game banging no more because they're too busy protecting their mom or their little sister or their young homies and their young homegirls, their aunties, their uncles, their grandparents, people that they love. When we look at the anemic access to good, healthy, clean food in our communities. Man, <laughs> I was watching this TV program. And this sister was explaining how she had five children and a limited amount of resources to feed them. When she was standing there, she was standing in her back, her huge backyard, all right? And she was walking with the interviewer and she walked around the side of the house. The side of the house was at least two yards across, right? And I'm saying to myself, sis, there go your solution right there. The Stainwood Agricultural Commune seeks to transform every vacant lot, backyard, side of the house, side of the apartment complex, side of the projects, aimless track of dirt, broken down uh, uh, industrial sites where we can produce vertical garden incubators into food. Our communities themselves shall become our breadbaskets. There was a time in our history where everybody in our neighborhood had a backyard garden. Now, at that time, we had them because we poor folks. Poor folks need to eat. We never starved. We ate good. My mama had tomatoes, uh, 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 broccoli, uh, uh, collard greens, and mustard greens. Ms. Mabel, who lived right next door to us, she had red peppers, yellow peppers. She had okra. She had squash. We used to trade. Everybody had fruit trees in their backyard. And if I want, I ain't never go hungry. I stayed full. Good, healthy food. Why? Because we all grew food. 
we share what we grew. What the Stay Black Cultural Commune seeks to do is not only research that tradition of organic horticulture in our communities, but to take it to its next level. But we do it with intent. We do it with intentional collectivity. Once again, utilizing the same collective work responsibility model for a six-month period, we're going to pool our resources. We're going to reach out to those structures and businesses in our community who have surplus uh, agricultural material they may want to throw away, like in nurseries who have stuff that's out, out of date, it's still good. We can get that stuff off the back dock for free. Pallets, we can get them and repurpose them into grow beds and start growing food in our communities, start turning our communities into food baskets. Everyone who participates in the Stainberry Culture Commune, be it a contribution of material wealth or a contribution of time and labor, will receive at the end of the growth cycle they produce. What surplus we have, we can sell to a local grocery store, a local restaurant, and those dividends will come back to support our community and the members in it. Brothers and sisters who don't participate but live in that community will get access to purchasing that produce, that organic produce, at a cut rate, super discounted, right at our our, uh, our farmer's markets that we're going to hold right there in the middle of the hood. Everybody going to eat. Everybody going to eat good. And you, that means you're going to have more money to keep in your pocket. But you ain't got to go spend at the grocery stores because we grew our own food. All right. When we speak of ensuring safety and security of our people, we are also talking about the safety and security of our future. We live in a technological world. We live in a world where new advances in robotics and science and technology, engineering and mathematics are going to structure the next generation. Yet we are the hindmost when it comes to STEAM. The African Math and Science Center initiative seeks to transform that reality, but do it once again in a functional manner. What we want to do is take them vacant houses and backyards, basements, whatever spaces that we can find available, and turn those in the classrooms where we teach science, technology, engineering, and math to our children and our adults. Well, we take our communities and turn them into our own Wakanda, all right? Now, if a brother and sister who lives in our community break their phone, we ain't taking that phone to the Verizon store. You take that phone right to the New African Math and Science Center Initiative, just right there inside your community, they're going to fix your phone for you for free and give you your phone back. Why? Just because you live it. That's their job. That's what they do. So it's not merely an educational incubator. It is a functional technological infrastructure in our communities where we fix our own stuff. We ain't got to go nowhere outside our community to get our stuff fixed. Be it your car, your TV, or your phone. Simply by leveraging our collective working responsibility. We was talking about the transformation of the minds of our children. It is a dismal reality when we fear our kids. When our children is constantly being thrown to the wolves, well, you got mamas calling the police on their own kids, and that's crazy. Youth Community Action Program seeks to do two things. Educate our young brothers and sisters in their true history the true culture, and the history and culture of others. Because in the absence of cultural ignorance is tolerance. And the knowledge of self is empowerment. At the same time, we want to train these young brothers and sisters in martial arts. Why is that so important? Because it instills in them self-discipline, assertiveness, and the capacity to control you. One of the primary contradictions we face is our young brothers and sisters now, they can get mad and one single incident of anger can change your whole life and the lives of several other families. But if they are imbued with the necessary self-discipline to think first and act second, 
violence in our community will be drastically reduced. The instances of misunderstanding in our communities will be drastically reduced because our kids is equipped with the tools of both knowledge of self and self-discipline to navigate these terrains with assertiveness and thoughtfulness with a mind always toward their service to their community because that's how we're going to orientate and train if they participate in phase one, they get access to phase two. Phase two is where we once again pool our resources to purchase a collectively owned business that these young brothers and sisters, they own it. They operate it, and they share the proceeds from that operation equally. Let's say for the sake of saying it's a garage where they turf out cars. You know, our kids is into, you know, the car culture. So we're going to purchase them a garage. We're going to leverage our brothers and sisters who have knowledge in car painting, upholstery, engine building, hydraulics, the whole nine, and train and teach them young brothers. So they have those skills. And they we get cars that we get donated, have them brothers turf them cars out, put them on the lot, sell them, and they split the money. Extend each other, go back to the program, and you're creating a new revenue source for that community. While at the same time, ensuring they ain't got to go stand on no street corner selling no poison to put money in their pocket or to feed their mama or their hungry little brother or sister. Right. I said all that to say this. There exist solutions to our national oppression, but they are all predicated upon our social cooperation. Right. We to work together. The more yeah, we... That unity. Yes. And we yep. also know that that unity, though, um, as you know, is there is another response, which is a, re- a reaction, not only to ourselves. I mean, we've been conditioned in a certain way because when we have come together, we have been bombed yeah. out, flooded out, uh, massacred out. Which uh, leads me to... Raised out. <laughs> you which know. leads me to yeah. the final initiative, which is the Security Community Mandate. The Thomas Infrastructure Mission is structured with historical materialism in mind. In every instance where we had certain people programs, the state is considered those by far the greatest threat. Mm-hmm. If you go back and just make cursory examination of the intelligence program, J. Edgar Hoover stated, we must destroy their server people programs. That was the primary focus of his attack toward the Black Panther Party. Right. And the entire Black Liberation Movement. Now, with that understood, the Secure Communities Mandate seeks to educate and train our brothers and sisters in our community in self-defense. The number one most pertinent, most resilient form of self-defense is knowing one another. That's one contradiction that we have in our community. We've got to end it. You should know every one of your neighbors on either side, in front of you and behind you. You should know them. Intimately. You should train with them. Our brothers and sisters should know hand-to-hand combat. They should know purser as a knife fighting technique. They should know how to defend against a knife attack. They should know a scream or artist that's how to fight with a stick. They should have basic marksmanship in both pistols, long guns, and shotguns. Our people should know how to gauge range and distance. Our people should know how to build a go bag, a bug out bag, and be able to have a properly executed bug out program instituted in their household, instituted in their community, and instituted in any communities that happen to be interconnected. We should be able to have a competent and rational response to any physical threat to ourselves or the institutions that we build. I want y'all to understand why this is so important, so, so, so vitally important. History tends to repeat itself. It tends to repeat itself, especially when we don't learn its lessons. Lessons should have been learned from Rosewood, like Wall Street, Watch Rides. Lessons should have been learned. And the lesson is, it should never be easy to kill us. 
It should never be easy to destroy the things that we build. All right. We are going to let that be the end of part two, meaning there will be a part three because Jokahashima Jinsai, uh, the new African political prisoner, um, author of numerous books, uh, one of my most favorite being The Indictment of the State and its Prison Industrial Slave Complex, um, still being uh, caged, still captured in uh, uh, Kern Valley State Prison, uh, has been the, the victim of uh, the torture of decades of solitary confinement simply for his uh, political beliefs. But you know that story. Um, but I do want to end it there, although it might sound a little bit ominous, but we must understand that we have the right to protect ourselves. It is only through unity and solidarity and for love and care for each other that we are going to be able to protect ourselves. Uh, because we know, again, with historical uh, reaction to our successes and to our taking care of ourselves uh, is the oppressor wants us to be dependent on them. Uh, that is how they maintain their control. So we are now going to listen to a segment of Season 4, Episode 14 of Abolition Today. And, um, and I encourage you to go and listen to the archives by going to abolitiontoday.org and listening to the whole piece, which is um, a, almost two hours long. The show is a two-hour show. We are going to be hearing about 35 minutes of it. All right, here we go. What does being in that system mean? So in America, there are uh, about 100 million people with a record. Like, let that sink in. 100 million people in America right now have some sort of arrest or conviction on their record. That's more than the entire population of Canada. They face what is called collateral consequences. These are social, civil, and economic sanctions that kick in after you serve your time. 70% are lifetime banned, and more than half are employment-related. We're talking about banning people from an entire sector, insurance, real estate, education, health care, finance. If you have a felony conviction, you are banned from health care and from real estate. For life. For life. That's just the economic impact, right? The social impact is even worse. I have a record. 20 years ago, fresh out of high school, was involved with a robbery, right? Did seven years, got out, been 11 years since I've been out. My kids are two and four. I'm getting choked up because it hits home. My kids are two and four. And we got a schedule from summer, for summer school. And there were field trips on there. And they said, what parents want to chaperone a field trip? I can't chaperone a field trip. My wife is 46 years old, I'm 38. We want to have a girl but it's a high-risk pregnancy. So I said, hey, let's figure out adoption. We can never adopt a kid. I love, I, I love the fact that we live in a country where we talk about second chances and redemption and one nation under a God, but like my soul can be redeemed, but that record stays there for life. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Abolition. You just heard Grand Nubians claiming I'm a criminal, and that was followed up by U.S. Rep. Jim Jordan on the problem with John Stewart. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms and also Amazon Music. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I am live in the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center <laughs> along with Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Yusuf. Uh, like you said, we're here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina. We're also joined by 
uh, abolitionist out of North Carolina and supporter John Knipple uh, is here at the center with us, as well as Travel Rain. That's right. Hey, John. Hey, you, sir. Glad to have you here. Glad to have you here. Thank you. It's quite an honor for me. This week, we dig deeply into the term and practice of involuntary servitude. What is it? How it works? Who it applies to? Why it's even legal? And how it's simultaneously illegal for every other nation in the world except the U.S. We'll be joined by slavery abolitionist Samuel Nathaniel Brown, original author of the California Abolition Act, which he wrote while incarcerated. He's one of the lead advocates for ACA 8, the 2023 California Abolition Act. California and North Carolina are the only two states that abolish slavery in their state constitutions, but added an exception to protect the practice of involuntary servitude. As always, we ask why, then provide real answers. And as always, we'll also bring the words of our abolitionist ancestors back to life for a new generation in our Bridging the Gap segment. I did want to give a shout-out to Brother Jay Jordan. Man, What he said was profound. He said, my, my soul can be redeemed, but this is going to be with me for life. You have been, right. written, like the song says, that classic hip-hop song, uh, claiming I'm a criminal, uh, says that's what they want you to be for life, a criminal. Even after you paid your dues and served your time, you walk out without the rights and uh, of citizenship or sometimes even human rights. Um, you know, right. we, when we had the brother on a couple of weeks ago and he broke it down, or last week even with uh, Tone, when he was saying, you know, I'm partially free, I'm out, but I'm on parole for life. And that means right. that he doesn't have the rights that you and I possess. And at any moment, they can come and get him for any reason. They don't even need a reason. They just make one up out of thin air. Just talking no to process. you, talking mm-hmm. to you who have served time yourself is a violation of probation. Right. So it's a dangerous situation for the people that are involved in this, and we really respect and appreciate the efforts that they're making and the risks they're taking. Um, I'm looking forward, though, to our guest who's coming in today to rejoin us. He's been here a number of times. Yeah. Uh, we've documented his story, as a matter of fact, right here on this program. And he's also got a new program that's going to be sponsored by Abolition Today that's coming up soon, and that's... Uh, Brother Samuel Nathaniel Brown. Brother Samuel, welcome home. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Yusuf. So, Big Brother Max, it's an honor and pleasure to be here. This is home. Um, Amen. Yeah, ready to ready to have this dialogue about involuntary servitude and why it's an everybody issue, you know? Exactly. Right. Uh, we're going to try to uh, give you a clear understanding of involuntary servitude, apart from its connection to slavery. We're going to talk about the legal aspect of it, how it's applied to people, and uh, really as a way to help these two campaigns and the people that are listening in now to understand better of what it is they're dealing with. So, brothers, uh, Sam, welcome back, as Yusuf said here. Um, And uh, if there's anything you want to add to your introduction, feel free. And if you want to comment on what we heard in the opening track, uh, because that reflects you as well, those statements, uh, feel free to do that as well. Yeah, a great deal of everything they said I was able to relate to and and respond to what the brother was saying in the opening track. You know, it's nothing like trying to find meaning in, inside that cell where every day that bed is attached. And you have to forgive me because I am driving, but I'm about to pull over. But every day, that bed is attached to the wall. So you can only get up on one side of the bed every day, and it's always the wrong side. And if that's Mm -hmm. not bad enough, then you have these people breathing down your neck, you know, acting as if their job is to punish you. And for them, that punishment is like mental torment, anguish, and then forcing you to do a job that you can't benefit from in the long run. And so it's, it's such a misconception about what's taking place in the carceral system from those who are actually in it, those who, you know, have loved ones and they learn about it, and those who have no idea. Because I talk to so many people, you know, it's a lot of good-hearted people out there 
who don't have anybody that's directly related to them dealing with mass incarceration, but the more they learn about the underpinnings of the system, the more they want to get involved and see what they can do to help. So that's why conversations like these are so important. Yes, especially in the climate that we find ourselves now, where as a nation we are pointing fingers at other countries saying that this is illegal, what you're doing. If you have prison labor to make your goods and services, it's illegal. And they're pointing out the laws, they're seizing goods at the ports that may have used forced labor in them. Uh, and yet we're doing it right here. It's very hypocritical. You know, I, I did some research and I found out uh, a number of definitions that come from various places. Let me start with the first one that comes from U.S. Customs and Border Protection. And you can find this right at CPP, C, cbp.gov. It's right off the your website. Research, says, your research says, is phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. It says, what is forced labor? CBP defines forced labor as all work or service which is exacted from any person under the menace of any penalty for its non-performance and for which the worker does not offer work or service voluntarily. Indentured labor is defined as work or service performed pursuant to a contract, the enforcement of which can be accomplished by process or penalties. This includes forced or indentured child labor. So that's straight off of the government website, what is labor to them. And there's another definition I want to share real quick that came from, um, according to the ILO, and the ILO is the International Labor Organization. And they say, what is forced labor? According to the ILO, forced labor is defined as all work or service, which is exacted from any person under the menace of any penalty. Now, that's what I just got from the uh, Border Patrol, right? And for which the said person has not offered himself voluntarily. Uh, They go a little further, though. They say, ILO Forced Labor Convention 29, 1930, Article 2-1. The term forced labor includes slavery and practices similar to slavery as well as bonded labor or debt bondage. The ILO definition generally applies to work or service exacted by governments and public authorities as well as private bodies and individuals. So see, they're pointing us at governments and public authorities as well as the private individual. And they have several elements, they said, which individually or in conjunction can indicate a forced labor situation, threats or actual physical harm. And I know, Sam, mm-hmm. that has happened to you personally. Uh, restriction right. of movement. 100%. Right. Restriction of movement or confinement to the workplace or a limited area. Uh, and that happens in these factories, in these prisons. Debt bondage. Withholding wages or ex- Right. <laughs> See? Withholding wages or excessive wage reduction that violates previously made agreements. Retention of passports and identity documents and threats of denunciation to the authorities when the worker has an irregular immigration status. So these are the two definitions right here in the United States of America. I'll go ahead and pass it over to you, Sam, for any comments. I um, I think it's great how you, you, you put forth two, two well-known organizations' definitions. Because right before the show, I took the time to do my own personal connotation so I could just break it down, you know, because it's important to do what we're doing right now. Like, you, you give it to them in the textbook form, and then I'll just give it to them in the basic form so if we catch everybody in between, right? And so mm-hmm. involuntary servitude refers to a situation where a, por- a person is forced to work against their will, often through coercion or threat of harm, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. many of the historical examples we see are like involuntary servitude and, and uh, uh, chattel slavery and serfdom. That's what comes to mind oftentimes, but there are more contemporaries that was like, like what Max is talking about right now. You know, when we talk about, about our, our, our brothers and sisters that immigrate from other places, you know, how they're mm-hmm. forced to work in the labor, like, uh, in the factories, like you were just talking about a minute ago. Um, the global supply chain, many workers, especially in developing countries, they forced to work in those factories or those mines for, for hours on hours on top of hours in, like, hazardous conditions. You know what I'm saying? They have no pay. 
no way to leave. And this is akin to what we've seen in our prison system. You know, this is, and, and we, just, we just draw in these parallels to show, you know, one evil is all evil. It's all bad. And it's the same people all around the globe, these same corporations, whether they're taking advantage of, of, a, of, of people in, in, a, in a, a third world country or they're taking advantage of people over here in America, part of a demographic that's always seeing themselves being patrolled by police in their neighborhoods and getting targeted with tough on crime laws. It's these same corporations that are benefiting from them, you know, from the, from these labor forces once they get people in these involuntary servitude situations. So if I would add anything, I would just add that, you know, that's what it looks like in real time. And so when you go to the prison system and then you have women in, in the California Institution of Women um, doing being a call center for someone like AT&T or, or another major corporation, FedEx or somebody, and you, you think you're talking to an operator that's somewhere in like Michigan or in your city, and you're talking to somebody that's incarcerated. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many, there's so many different sectors of the economy and, and here in America and around the world that benefit from involuntary servitude. That it really is something that everybody should be concerned about because we can do better than this, and we should. Exactly. Um, slavery and involuntary servitude are crimes against humanity that are basically illegal everywhere, according to the U.S.'s own laws. Uh, it is literally a federal crime for slavery under 18 right. U.S. Code 1589. I, I want to read that, but before I read it, I want to give Yusuf an opportunity to chime in, and then I'll read it, and then we'll play what we're going to use as basically the centerpiece of today's conversation. And I think uh, everybody who's listening should have a notebook and a pencil ready because you're going to need to take notes on what you hear. So, Yusuf, you want to chime in? Yeah. You know, it's so hard when, you know, you're batting third and you have two heavy hitters in front of you where both of you have already hit home runs. You know, uh, I want to reserve some time for later because I want to get into, like, the legal history as how involuntary servitude proceeded through the courts and what was the court's position when it came to involuntary servitude and then also some acts that it, that were enacted over the years, also furthering uh, American hypocrisy. So we can go ahead with that track if you want to, Max. Well, let me read this real quick about 18 U.S. Code 1589. Uh, it says that Section 1589 makes it a federal crime to knowingly provide or obtain the labor or service of a person using force, threats of force, physical restraint, or fraud, otherwise known simply as forced labor. If you are accused or of forcing someone to work for you, or if you are accused of helping someone else force someone to work for them, uh, mm-hmm. also known as trafficking labor, you could be charged with the crime of forced labor under USC 1589. This statute falls under peonage, slavery, and trafficking crimes, and anyone involved or accused of involvement with this type of illegal conduct will need experienced legal representation. The relevant laws that make this conduct a federal crime find under 18 U.S. Codes Chapter 77, which contains numerous statutes. So there's numerous laws that you can get, and the penalty is up to 20 years in prison for doing this. Now, with that being said, I want you to hear... What we're going to play next uh, is it, very powerful and it's very rare. Uh, I believe that this has been purged from the internet. I was only define, able to find one copy, which I had downloaded some time ago. And what it is is an advertisement from the Department of Justice appealing to national and international corporations to use prison labor in the United States. And you can hear them break it down in their evil-ass way yourself right now. It's going to be accompanied by the instrumental of uh, Destiny Child song, No, 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 if you remember that. Uh, And I use that specifically because they're saying it's illegal for everybody else, but here they are saying, come do it. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. With Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, our guest today is Samuel Nathaniel Brown, and in the house is John Knipple. We'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. 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 
productivity that we've seen has exceeded what we originally expected, and it's been a pleasant surprise. I have a workforce that does not have car problems or babysitting problems, etc. They're always here and they're always willing to come to work. We are literally running 94 to 96% productivity every day. When we have available skilled labor, we can ramp up in a very short period of time. The situation here allows us to control our costs far more than we could in the past. It's a win-win situation for everyone. Growth is one indicator of business success, but growth is a double-edged sword. It poses challenges as well as opportunities. In tight labor markets, where can you find additional workers and space for more equipment? How do you manage the ebb and flow of production? Or find additional staff for peak periods? The solution? The resources inside America's correctional facilities. Bring your business to our labor. Benefit from industrial space that is built for production. If you are looking for a dependable labor pool with diverse capabilities, look no further. A select group of energized, motivated inmates are eager to work. Partnerships between private business and the nation's correctional institutions are on the rise and have proven successful. Ample production space. Flexibility in production scheduling. These competitive advantages are helping businesses to grow nationwide. There is not enough uh, folks that will do this type of work in this country. So therefore, we're bringing, bringing back this industry that historically has been going out of this country, and we're putting it you know, inside the walls. And it's, it's absolutely a, a perfect idea. The work that can be performed is diverse. Manufacturing, assembly, packaging, services. Hard-working and reliable, inmates show up for work every day voluntarily. Security and safety are a priority. Inmates are interviewed and hired selectively, and their work habits and institutional behavior are closely monitored to maintain a safe working environment. These partnerships between correctional industries and business owners are set up to achieve one goal, long-term business success. Escott Industries um, is a cable manufacturing organization. We manufacture cable assemblies primarily for the telecommunications industry. So I've been uh, working with the Prison uh, Industries Association for approximately five years. From a profitability standpoint, we can't ask for anything more. When we have a facility such as this, where we have available skilled labor, that availability means that if we need an additional 10 to 15 to 20 individuals in a very short period of time, we can bring those individuals on overnight. We've been extremely satisfied with the inmates. Um, any organization that is really looking to, to increase uh, their operation, to expand their operation, really needs to take a good hard look at prison industries. It was one of the best moves that we've ever made. Your production is brought right inside the correctional facility. A business plan is developed to meet your production, space, and labor requirements. If you need flexibility in scheduling, or need to adjust the labor output to accommodate peaks and valleys in demand, it can be arranged. We can move materials in and out of the facility as needed. We've had no problem getting the number of inmates that we needed for the job. There are multiple applications for each job that we have. Their attention to detail uh, and their productivity uh, is really better than what we see in the civilian uh, workforce. Partnerships between correctional industries and private business are a rapidly growing segment of a multi-billion dollar industry in America. Partnerships with private companies are possible in almost every state. Quali, which is an international company, holds a worldwide patent on a method of manufacturing furniture which is unique in the world. The inmates we have found to be far more willing to learn, but far more willing to give of himself, to improve of himself. Obviously, uh, when a industry is looking to relocate from wherever they are manufacturing or where they're considering to manufacture, a lot of various uh, parameters are taken into account. In respect of ourselves, 
uh, we did consider in relocating to China or to the Far East where labor costs are exceptionally low. But we found that in the end of the day, we had to be close to our marketplace. The decision to relocate was primarily that of a financial one. These business partnerships represent a win-win proposition. Business gains a competitive labor force, and inmates learn valuable job skills. If your business is expanding, or if you are experiencing a labor shortage, consider inmate labor. Starting a new enterprise, or bringing business back to the United States, or relocating from a foreign country, look at inmate labor. If you were investing in automation, but need additional labor to step up production, these men and women are up to the task. Bring us your business challenge. Chances are, there's a nearby correctional facility that can supply dependable labor, enhance your competitiveness, and increase your profitability. Be part of a progressive business solution. Call us for an appointment. partnership ad from the Department of Justice, and that was accompanied by No, 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 remixed by Destiny's Child, the instrumental, and I know the Beehive is out there going crazy right now, you know, but uh, wow, 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 that's what I have to say, you know, it's, it's so much that we can unpack from that audio, so many little uh slick phrases he was using and then I I can't wait for us to break it down. So welcome back to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parsons, Yusuf Hassan, our guest Samuel Nathaniel Brown, and in the house, none other than John Knipple. Uh Sam. Man how you feel listening to that, man. I, man, I, I know you <laughs> we got we got we got some Inmates who are motivated, excited, and eager to do your job, to do your work right. for you, right? For real. Mm-hmm. And it's killing, you know, in, in, in the Anti-Violence, Safety, and Accountability Project and in the 10P program, we talk about, and y'all, we just talked about it on the show before, that slavery mm-hmm. was, was really the first form of automation. All right, beautiful people. I hope um, you enjoyed our show this morning, and I hope that all of this has had... Um, a deep, positive, and um, profound impact on your humanity. Matt, these slick phrases, didn't you just feel or see the happy slaves on the auction block? This is what's taking place in 2023, now, here and now, with America as a corporation. That's why I constantly say America with three Ks, Inc. Listen, we need y'all on board Please be aware. I encourage you to look further. Get out of your comfort zone. Go to those websites that I've talked about. Joka Hashima Jinsai takes a beautiful, deep um, dive into what it means and the social implications um, of our existence here with legal slavery and how we can change it through, um, again, our social cooperation. Max Parthas with Yusuf Hassan and Samuel Nathaniel Brown and all of these other people that are um, about abolition and ending legal slavery on the legal front, which is very important. The Constitution is not for us. It is for the oppressor. Laws are constantly being broken and laws are weaponized against us. So get us, get on board, people. Build the people's power. All right. Um, and get in touch with me if you'd like at endslaverynow, the number nine at gmail.com. I love all your comments. Um, please send them to me. All right. And um, we'll see you next week with part three and more. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. <laughs>